Hi, I am Kyle. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Social Ninjas. Hiya! Jeremy and I both struggled with social anxiety and mental health overall. Now we both work to improve our own mental health and the mental health of others by sharing what we did to help our social anxiety and what we learn and continue to do to improve upon our own mental health. What we share is what we learn from our own experiences. We are not mental health professionals and what we say should not be used in place of or replacement of medication or your doctor. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the show. show. We are the Social Ninjas. My name is Kyle. I'm your co-host. And join with me as always is Jeremy. What's going on, Jeremy? Hello, everyone. And then we also have a special guest, Brock Johnson, joining us today. What's going on, Brock? What's up? So happy to be here. <laughs> so for people who don't know who you are, can you give us just like a little background, kind of bio and kind of what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I am a 23-year-old entrepreneur, uh, and I'm a college student athlete. So I play football at UC Davis in Northern California. Uh, that's my full-time job, playing football and going to school. Um, and then in my, my part-time, my free time, I run an online business where I basically help small business owners learn how to market using social media, uh, really specifically Instagram. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that's why I'm really intrigued is because I've been following you for a while and I thought that was really cool that you're a full-time college student, you know, you play football and you, you know, you're helping other people and you're making six figures, if I remember right. Like, how, how do you keep all that going? I mean, that's got to be a lot of stress and that's one big reason we wanted to have you on and kind of talk about kind of your process of working through all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I wouldn't say that it's stressful, uh, but it definitely is a lot. And it's uh, something that's different, I would say, absolutely from all my other teammates and most other college students. But it's different. My schedule is different because my priorities are different. Um, and that's a question that I always ask myself is uh, about my priorities and my schedule. And if those two things don't align, then something has to change. Um, and I'm not willing to budge on my priorities. And so for me, what has to change then is my schedule. So my schedule looks different. The way I spend my time looks different. And that's because my goals are different. Uh, my priorities are different as well. And so for me, what, what I've prioritized and what my goal has been since I got into college uh, was really creating financial freedom for myself um, and preparing myself to eventually one day start a family and be able to provide for them while still having that same freedom. Um, and that was really exemplified and, and shown to me by my parents at a young age. And so I've just kind of monkey see, monkey do, tried to create my own business and create that freedom for myself. And that's really been what's driven me to re-prioritize re, re, uh, my schedule and change things around and just live a, a different life than what a lot of my classmates and teammates are doing. Yeah. My question is uh, kind of how did you get into that and what do you... And can you tell us a little, bit, a little bit about what you do and how has that process been? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, it started with my parents. Uh, my entire life, they've been entrepreneurs and own their own businesses. Um, and I saw from a young age what that allowed for them. Yes, uh, it might have been more balls to juggle at once or uh, more people to hold accountable. They couldn't just have the same routine every single day. 
but what it also really allowed them was that freedom. Uh, so my parents drove me to school every day, picked me up from school every day. They never missed the game. Even my freshman year of college, when I was on the East Coast, my dad would fly across the country every week to watch me play. Um, and so from a young age, I saw that freedom that it, that it allowed them. Uh, it allowed them to not just say family first, but actually live family first. Um, and so that's really from a young age what inspired me to want to be an entrepreneur, want to work for myself, and want to create my own business. And then more specifically, like I said, when I got into college, um, it really became a question of, okay, now that I'm in college, how can I create what they have done? How can I serve people? What special gifts or talent or expertise do I have that will allow me to serve people? And then also, what are people willing to pay for? Because it's great to have an expertise, but it's not a business unless people are willing to pay for it. Um, and so my freshman year of college, it began, uh, interestingly enough, with a way to keep kids safe on Snapchat. Back then, I had just taught my parents how to use Snapchat as a way to like communicate with me uh, much quicker and much easier. And so I was like, okay, I have this expertise now in, in teaching people how to use Snapchat. Why don't I teach parents how to use it so they can keep their kids safe online? And then from there, it's just grown. It first grew and changed into uh, a, a way to market using Snapchat. And now it's marketing using Instagram and Instagram stories. So it's definitely changed over time, but that was how it began. Uh, <laughs> that's a cool story. So um, can you I'm curious, actually, what is uh, what are people what is the wrong way to to use Instagram as, uh, with marketing, and what is the right way, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that uh, the wrong way to use Instagram with with marketing, or really in general, is two things. First of all, uh, there's a stereotype around Instagram that everything is photoshopped, filtered, edited, um, and people are really sensitive to that right now, and now more than ever. Uh, so the first thing I see people doing wrong is just honestly putting too much effort um, into trying to correct their photos and edit them and, and digitally change them when really what our followers are looking for on Instagram is genuineness and authenticity. Um, and so really sharing that and just focusing on documentation uh, is a great key for, for growing on Instagram. Not, not opening up Photoshop or, or downloading all these different apps to filter and, and change the way your, your pictures look, but really sharing how they truly look in real life. Um, and then also from a marketing perspective, trying to force the sale. And a lot of people, even people who do sell, are sensitive to sounding salesy and, and sensitive to feel like they're just promoting their product all day. So again, um, it's being genuine and none of us feel salesy when we're recommending our favorite product to our friend. Like if you just got this awesome new like soda or whatever and you wanna recommend it to your friend, you don't sound salesy when you're promoting that. So when we promote that way in a very genuine sense online, it doesn't come across as salesy, but when we promote in a way of, hey, like here's this product, here's how you get 20% off and you're directly selling it, it doesn't feel genuine and true to yourself and it doesn't come across as genuine or true to your followers. I like that. So I feel good about my own Instagram account. I thought I might be lazy because I didn't do all the editing. So now I know I'm being authentic. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I see you're wearing some sort of mental health shirt. Am I right? I am. Yeah. Uh, oh, mental health it. matters. Yeah. Matters. It's a sweater. It's uh, from self care is for everyone. That's the, the company found them, on, found them actually on Instagram uh, and they got some great stuff. 
Yeah, so that was that company I sent to you like a week ago, Jeremy. The, okay. Yeah, that mental was... clothing line. I thought that was cool. <laughs> we're we're working on something like that, so it'd be cool to maybe connect with them. Yeah. So, yeah, going off that. So, how important is mental health to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was a, a journey that actually somewhat timeline wise coincides with my business journey. Uh, for most of my life, I've been thought of as like a happier, upbeat, positive person. And I still am that today. Uh, but my freshman year of college, when I started my business is also when I would say I really started my mental health journey. Um, fortunately I grew up with parents who were very pro therapy and, uh, pro seeking out like mental health, uh, advice and help. Uh, so that made it easier for me, but my freshman year of college, uh, is, really the first time I went to therapy in a real sense. I went a couple times uh, when I was younger growing up for just like sleeping problems I had and and random things that would go on. Um, But really my freshman year of college is where I really personally started to take an interest in my mental health. Um, And it's been a journey. I can't say that like I went to therapy a couple times and now I'm just like a baller and I'm sweet and my, my brain's perfect. Like it's not a box that you can ever check off. Like, okay, mental health, boom, done, got that one. I think it's very much just like physical health. You can't go to the gym one time or go to the gym consistently for a month and then you're good for the rest of your life. You're good for a couple of years. It really needs to be a consistent practice uh, with consistent routine checkups, just like the gym. I mean, as a student athlete, I work out every single day. I spend hours every day training my body with yoga, with uh, exercise, with running, with lifting weights, all this different training I'm doing. Um, and so it's doing myself a disservice to forget about my mental health, to not listen to podcasts, read books from experts and, uh, talk to therapists or, or have counseling groups, or even have, uh, close relationships that, that can help grow my mental health as well. To put that on the back burner and forget about it, um, is, is almost like all this physical training should just go to waste, uh, if my mental game isn't also dialed in. And I, we agree substantially, uh, just like it's, it's reps. It's like going to the gym. Uh, could you take us a little bit deeper into any challenges you had and how you overcame them? Yeah, sure, sure. So I will give a little bit uh, more of my backstory. Growing up, um, I was surrounded, and I don't say this to, to brag or boast, but I was surrounded by a lot of influential people Um my grandfather is the second winningest high school football coach in the state of California's history. My dad played professional football. My uncle played professional football. And my mom was on TV basically every single day growing up. And I still get texts from my friends. They saw her on TV. She holds the world record uh, for most fitness videos produced by an individual. So wow. I was surrounded and I very much grew up in this environment with a lot of influential people, a lot of people uh, who were like well-known either in the community or on TV, whatever. Um, and so I very much internalized that pressure. I think my parents did, uh, the best job they could to try to not put any additional pressure on me. But I also know that growing up, uh, I internalized a lot of that pressure and that down the line transitioned into me being definitely somewhat of a perfectionist. Um, later in high school and beginning college, it was uh, taking a strong grip on my life. This perfectionism it was affecting myself, my relationships with my friends and my family. Um, and that was really the, the biggest shift or the biggest 
thing that I, I worked on quite a bit um, in that initial uh, bout or sessions in therapy uh, my freshman year of college was just learning to unpack this perfectionism and learning to deal with a lot of my uh, lowercase t traumas from my childhood. Um, but at, even at that time, it wasn't necessarily something I was immediately aware of um, until I was able to really take a step back and look at my mental health completely and start going to therapy and, and seeking advice from an expert. Wow, amazing. <clears throat> yeah. So so when you started going to therapy, was that because you, you knew you were trying to work on your perfectionism or was it more of, uh, I want to start like working on my mental health? Yeah. So that, that's what I think is the funny thing about therapy and what I'll always tell my friends when I'm like advising them to, to go down that route or, or, or consider that is usually what you go in for isn't what you end up working on. Uh, I went in for, for some other reasons, some other mental health things I was dealing with at that time. But then it very quickly became that the majority of my time was spent really around uh, this perfectionism. Um, so it wasn't what I originally thought, but it was what I ended up probably needing the most. Um, and it kind of allowed my, I kind of allowed myself to uh, get to that place where I was really able to work on that and, and focus on that. And I learned that by uh, improving on those things and working on those things, uh, it affected all these different areas of my life and areas of my mental health. Wow, that's a, some cool awareness. My question is, what are some of your main takeaways or tools you used to help you with that perfectionism? Because that's, I know me, when I want something to be perfect, I end up not doing anything because I want it to be perfect, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so this is something that, again, it's not like a box I've checked off. It's something that I still struggle with from time to time. And it's interesting because even in my business, I hear a lot, uh, of people sending me messages who are scared to start things because they want it to be perfect, right? Like they're scared to publish that website. They're scared to make that business offer to launch that podcast or that YouTube channel, or even to post on their Instagram stories because they want it to be perfect before they get started. And uh, if you wait for things to be perfect, you never will get started. That's, that's the paradox. That's the unfortunate thing is you'll never reach that level of perfection because it's not humanly possible to be perfect and waiting to be perfect or, or even trying to make something perfect is just going to delay the start. And so I think that was a great lesson that I learned uh, my freshman year, not just in therapy, but also from my business. Because like I said, uh, my business was, was started as a way to keep kids safe on Snapchat and, and teach their parents how to use it, which already sounds sloppy, but you should have seen that initial website and that initial uh, like online course. It was so sloppy that it was like filmed with my phone, like shooting up my nose, terrible lighting. It was, it was terribly made. But the, the lesson I learned was that I just started, I forced myself uh, to, to kind of put it out there in the world and accept that it was good enough um, and that it was never going to be perfect. And then from that, it's grown and I've been able to serve and, and help thousands of business owners and thousands of, of online uh, entrepreneurs. And that would have never been possible if I didn't first just start and accept that it was good enough. Love it. Love it. So me and Jeremy are actually hosting our first webinar this Friday. And uh, I knew initially I was like, all right, let's just make it like we were talking about it over the past, over this past weekend. 
I was like, all right, let's just say we're going to do it Friday because if we don't put a date to it, we're going to try to perfect it and make it absolutely, you know, exactly how we want it. It's like, let's just go and do it. Like, let's just go. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's so much easier that way. So I love that you said that. Um, so changing gears a little bit, something that I, I kind of like connect with you. You're kind of like my spirit animal in this way. <laughs> I saw this post that you made where you had – I didn't know they made this like uh, a, a, a stick whiteboard that you can like stick on to you know, looks like you have it stuck onto a mirror uh-huh. and you have all these you know goals and you have intentions for the, the year or summer and uh, let's see uh, you had little notes that was for yourselves like slow down relax find peace hasn't it all worked out in the best in the past and man, I just love that so much I thought that was super cool so I just want to kind of here like what's your process for doing that like how how often do you do it and how has that helped you and your mental health yeah yeah thanks for thanks for noticing that uh for people who haven't seen that you can find it on my instagram i think i did an igtv about it a couple months ago Uh, but basically in my in my dorm room which is actually an apartment room uh back up at school i have these two giant full-length sliding door mirrors Um, and so i went on amazon and i found this uh, like dry erase wallpaper is basically what it is. And I think it was like 10 bucks per square. So I just bought like two or three of them and I laid them out over my mirror. And that basically turned my entire mirror into this giant whiteboard. Uh, and I use it, like, like you said, uh, to, I write my goals on there, my intentions, uh, my fun, like dreams or goals, things I want to just do that, that don't really relate to anything. Um, one of them's learning to backflip, still working on that. been working on that one for like four months now. Um, and then I write also just like little motivational quotes or, or reminders or, or phrases that I need to hear. Um, I reset my goals every 90 days. I found that for me, that's kind of like my ideal window. It also works well, uh, that I'm at a UC school, so we're on the quarter system. So every 90 days is pretty much a new quarter. Um, so it works out really well there. And I, I, I set my goals. I usually set about 10 of them at a time. And the reason for 90 days is that sometimes if I set like a five-year goal or a one-year goal, it's hard to really see that tangibly. Like it feels like it's so far away, but also um, I want to set goals that are are bigger than just like things I can do today because those are more like tasks. So I start with my 10-ish 90-day goals, and then I break those down into the different tasks that I need uh, to, to accomplish those goals. And then I just, you know, sprinkle all over the rest of the board, motivational things, things that are going to help me check in with my mental health or phrases that I want to hear. Um, and then so when I, when I see that board, when I wake up and I look at it or uh, whenever I'm like going through my closet and I have to slide the, the little door across and I see those things, uh, it's just an additional little reminder. You know, it's the opposite of the phrase out of sight, out of mind. Uh, it's insight. So it's on my mind. Uh, and it just keeps it very much there in front of me. But I know some other things I've seen people do is like post-it notes, writing little sticky notes for yourself or even writing directly on a mirror. I think that uh, those are all great ways to like keep it very present and in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I went to this uh, really cool retreat and they talked about making the sticky notes and kind of writing your whys do you know some of your, can you tell us some of your whys that keeps you motivated and? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I think my whys is, is like I said a little bit earlier, uh, my overarching why is trying to like create this, this freedom or this independence. First of all, right now in the current stage of Matt in life for myself um, and just creating that independence from, from my parents and uh, being able to provide for myself while in college. And then eventually after college, my why is like my future family. Uh, so creating that, that business now so that by the time I'm able to start a family, it's more established um, and I can kind of not sit back, so to speak, but much less hands-on and uh, much less uh, nitty gritty than I'm dealing with right now. But really just creating that, that freedom for the future and, and setting myself up so that I'm able to be the kind of parent I want to be one day. That's awesome. So <clears throat> I always tell people when they're making their whys, like try to make it more than about yourself. It's a lot, it's a lot of you. It's so easy to quit on yourself, but if like you're quitting on your, you know, your kid or your spouse or whatever, man, that's that's a that's a whole nother game. So, yeah, I like that you said that. So, do you do any like visualization uh practices with that? And do you kind of like visualize the future or anything like that? Yeah, so I, I think visualization is something that I, I still want to do more of. It's something that we talk quite a bit about uh, on my football team. My Entire coaching staff actually uh, is very uh, for mental health. A lot of them are, are mental health advocates. My quarterback coach, who's also our offensive coordinator, has even uh, spoken on some mental health panels at UC Davis. Uh, so I'm extremely grateful uh, to be on the football team that I am. And it's, it's very forward thinking and different than a lot of uh, other football programs across the country. But they do talk quite a bit about visualization. And we do some visualization uh, for football, in terms of uh, my non-football life, I don't do a ton of, of visualization, but uh, meditation and, and mindfulness, thoughtfulness is something that I've experimented with. I've done some of it. It's something that I definitely want to do more of. It's, it's one of those things that I just feel like every book I read and every podcast I listen to uh, is recommending this and, and suggesting that I do this. I feel like I'm very much being nudged in that direction. Uh, so it's a, a habit I really want to create for myself. It's again, like I said, mental health is not a, a box you check off, you're done with. I think that's my kind of next new uh, workout phase that I'm going to be moving into, so to speak, is to add more mindfulness, uh, more meditation and more visualization uh, into my routine. Awesome. So uh, we'll do that now. I'll wait for later. Okay. So one thing I want to ask you about, and I'm glad you brought it up is, how your football team's like really into mental health so is there I know you said you guys do kind of like visuals that you guys do like group visualizations together or kind of what's what do you guys do as a team uh, for mental health yeah so uh, first of all um, I think this starts from the head man down this starts from our head coach all the way down there will be days uh, where we roll into the meeting rooms and you know it's 6 30 7 in the morning we're in week six of the football season your body is just beat up you're, you're drained you're in the middle of the of the fall semester we'll walk in we'll sit down everyone's kind of you know snacking on their oatmeal or whatever and and just kind of getting ready to start what could be another mundane day um and our coach does this kind of regularly but he'll come in and he'll just say okay everyone put your stuff down put your phones down put your notebooks down sit up right in your chair firmly plant your feet on the ground and close your eyes and he'll lead us through like a, a five, 10 minute guided meditation. Um, it's not an everyday thing, but it's, it's just a regular interruption to our routine uh, that gets 
all 120 guys on the team into that mindset uh, right then to start our day. So that's kind of like a big example. And then on a smaller example, uh, our head coach, as well as our offensive coordinator, and really all of our coaches are consistently uh, checking in with us and, and sending us videos, sending us text messages, uh, just really showing us that, that they love us and they care about us. Um, and, and it extends much more than just like, how are you playing on the football field or how is your performance at practice? It's much bigger than that. Uh, to give you a, a more specific example, I won't name names, but we had a player uh, during our past spring ball who was having some mental health struggles. Um, and before he even reached out, before he even uh, said anything to any of the coaches, one of our coaches was able to recognize that he was going through that, reach out to him, uh, get him connected with our football team counselor, who we, uh, that's another thing. We have a, a counselor who's dedicated just to the football team and uh, helping us kind of with, with that side of things. Um, and then also that head coach reached out to a few uh, players, including myself and some of this guy's uh, other close friends and just, you know, had us check on him and take care of him and uh, recognize that we can lift him up. And in turn, one day when we're down, he can lift us up. So it's very much, uh, uh, no pun intended. It's very much a, a team, a team game here. I love that. And what, what caught my attention is the dynamic of just not putting shame in that those mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. I feel like with a there's a past trend of if someone has mental health issues, something's wrong with them. So then that person never gets it worked on, and so then they just kind of throw it under the you know their mental carpet and dust it on. Just put it over there. You won't see it. And then all of a sudden, the carpet gets pulled up, and then boom, it blows up. So I really love that dynamic of just like, it's okay. And, and making it more okay to kind of have having some issues because mm -hmm. it seems like, it sounds like a lot of pressure. You're on the football team. You want to have your future going. You got, you got your, there's a lot of stuff going on. So I love that how you talked about that. Thank you. So, um, so do you ever, because I know you play quarterback, seems like it's be, do you, do you get like butterflies before going on or do you have like some sort of specific routine to get yourself like mentally in check before a game? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this one also has been a fun journey to learn about. I think that the butterfly, the butterflies should always be there. I think that if there's ever a day that I'm getting ready to go out and play a football game and I don't just feel a little bit jittery in my stomach, then, then maybe it, it's my day to, to hang up the, the helmet and the cleats. Uh, and, and stop playing because I feel that that little bit of excitement and that little tingle in your stomach should always be there. Um, that's something that my, my uncle told me early on, and I think that's definitely true of myself. Uh, but I will say growing up playing football, I was very much subscribed to like what you see in movies, which is like you put on the headphones, it's playing like some hardcore like ACDC or Eminem, and you know, like you're just getting in the zone, like you're going to run through a wall. That might work for some football players. That might work for some positions. But as a quarterback, especially, my game is so much more up here. It's so much more mental than physical. Um, and so one thing that I learned from my good friend, uh, Jake Mayer, who was our quarterback for the last couple of years, um, he's blown away a bunch of records. And, and he had a very successful career at Davis. But one thing that I picked up from him uh, was pregame. He wasn't like focused, totally dialed in where he's just staring at a wall. And if you talk to him, he's not answering. He also wasn't the flip side of that where he was goofy and messing around and joking around like he didn't have a football game today. And then he also wasn't, I'm going to have headphones on and be listening to hardcore music. He was just his normal, calm, cool, collected self. And I think that's something that I've tried to uh, imitate now in my own pregame ritual 
Um, it's really just about finding that calmness and stillness. So like earlier, we talked about uh, mindfulness and meditation. That's something that us quarterbacks will do pregame is just kind of sit there and we're not going to be tons of energy, but we're also not going to be uh, hardcore banging our heads against the locker. Just calm, cool, collected, taking our deep breaths and, and really focused on centering ourselves uh, so that our mind is, is totally prepared to, to play the football game ahead. Wow, I love that. I have a question on butterflies. <laughs> uh, I, how do you frame butterflies in a positive way? Yeah, I think that there's, there's a difference between like butterflies, which can kind of come from like excitement and joy and, and like versus like nervousness, anxiety, um, or, or internal distress. I think that it's a spectrum and, and there's, a, there's a line to walk there. And I think that for each person, that's a little bit different. Um, but I definitely think that nervousness and excitement are, are two different ends of the spectrum in terms of pleasantness. I mean, so for me, butterflies is just a little bit of, of healthy, uh, healthy excitement, healthy, um, a little bit of, of just unknown of what's about to happen, excitement of, of what's going to happen. Um, while the other side of that is, is the uh, overwhelming anxiety or nervousness uh, that a lot of people do unfortunately feel not with football games, but with any sporting event or with so many different things, giving a presentation at your job or, or anything like that. Public speaking is a huge one. Uh, so I think it's just finding that line. And, and uh, really, I think what's helped me if I ever do start to feel anxious or I do start to feel that uh, extreme nervousness, that uncontrollable internal feeling uh, before I go out for a football game, uh, it's just, again, returning, like I said, returning to that mindfulness, returning to my breath uh, and, and that, med that meditative calm state. Um, if I'm going out to go public speaking or if I'm going out to play a football game and I ever feel that way, I can very easily calm myself by, by doing those things. And is, is there a level above that? Like, is there a way you kind of talk to yourself in those moments? Yeah, there absolutely is. Uh, sometimes I will try to distract myself or, or remind myself of the bigger picture uh, because ultimately, and this is something that I've learned in the last uh, two years or so, is that really my identity isn't tied uh, to my performance. My identity isn't tied to my role as a football player. Uh, that's not where I draw my self-worth from. So sometimes I'll, I'll give myself the very real self-talk of like, okay, what if I go out there today? Because I think this is where the nervousness comes from. What if I go out there and I perform terribly? What if I go up on the stage and I forget my entire presentation? What if I uh, go to drop back and throw a pass and I just forget everything? I forget my entire 20 years of football playing experience. What if that all just goes out the window and I perform terribly? My self-worth isn't tied to that. So I can look at my performance and say, well, I performed poorly. What happened? How can I improve? But also I know that my self-worth isn't tied to that. And so going through that self-talk and kind of reminding myself that even if the worst case scenario happens, I am still okay as an individual. Uh, I think that that, helps me also kind of settle down and, and snap myself out of the uh, nervousness or anxiety that might come. That's amazing. I have one more follow. I just got to get me all hyped. So um, someone who's looking for that pivot or that anchor for their self-worth, what would be your take on that? They have to, have to make sure they, have, they dial that in and not have it be um, connected to how they perform on, on a stage or on the football field or whatever they're, yeah. they're doing in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. So I can't say that this is going to be perfect for everyone and not everyone might love hearing this, but for me, it's my faith. Uh, that's what roots me. That's where I draw my self-worth from. 
Um, I'm a Christian and a, and a Jesus lover. That's the first line in my Instagram bio. Uh, so that's where I draw my self-worth from. That's something eternal that uh, isn't going to change. And, and God's opinion and views of me aren't going to change whether I throw 10 interceptions or 10 touchdowns in a game. Uh, so that's where I personally draw my self-worth from. Um, can't speak for everyone. Can't speak for all my teammates. But for me personally, that's what works. Yeah, I like that answer. Um, oh yeah, so going back to your routine, this is a question I thought about asking you earlier. So do you have like a morning routine that you run through on a daily basis or somewhat daily at least? Yeah, I think it, it's changed in the last month because of the whole quarantine and global pandemic. I think that also I'm home now. So my routine is very much interrupted from what it had been uh, for the last three, four years while up at, up at school, at college. Um, so it's a little bit different and it's changing and I'm still working on getting that dialed in. Uh, but while I was up at school, my morning routine was basically this. I wake up, throw on devotional music. So I start listening to usually the Jesus is Born album by Kanye West's uh, Sunday Service Choir. I love that album. So I throw that on. I cook up some breakfast. And then by the time breakfast was done being made, uh, I would put down the, the, uh, the music, open up my Bible, do a morning devotional, eat my breakfast, write some notes, do some guided prayer or meditation. And that usually lasts about the first hour of the day. And so that allows me to get fully woken up, eat a good meal and, and feed my soul at the same time. And then usually after that, I'd head to football practice, which could be anywhere from 7 a.m. till noon uh, to maybe just a couple hours in there. But basically until noon every day would be, would be football. But that first hour of my day was, was very, very important to me and something that I developed really uh, at the beginning of 2020. And it, it really, I think, changed my attitudes and helped me uh, be set up for, for the rest of the day as a whole. Love it. So yeah, I'm really big into morning routine. So what's, what's been the change that you saw? So like, what's been the difference since you've been doing this morning routine? What would you say like the biggest thing is? Yeah, I think first of all, it was a way to kind of uh, strongly encourage, if not force myself uh, to do, like I said, like that meditation every morning, um, because I incorporated it into my morning prayer, um, this guided prayer meditation. It wasn't like, Something I was like, oh, I want to do 10 minutes of that today, or oh, I'll get to it later, or oh, I'll do it before bed. But it was really a scheduled time every single day where I could get into that meditation. Um, and I think that just generally it made me uh, have more perspective. I think that was the biggest thing that this, this morning prayer, these daily devotionals uh, would do for me is it would really just set up my perspective for the rest of the day. And kind of, uh, that's not to say I wouldn't have bad days or I wouldn't have days where I felt more down than others or less energy than others. But uh, it was a great way to kind of just set up my perspective for the rest of the day. And then it was kind of crazy to, to realize how often I would be reading verses or, or going through a guided prayer, which I personally love uh, the church home guided prayer. There's a, there a church out of Seattle. Um, how often those things would directly correlate to things that were going on in my life or that were directly applicable uh, to, to challenges I was facing. Um, and so I think that, yeah, perspective was, was the biggest thing I gained from that. Wow. And what is some of that, what's something recently, like a perspective that really has helped you? Yeah, I think the uh, perspective change that's kind of been recent, uh, is just this whole quarantine thing. Um, I feel like everyone in the entire world is now being faced with, with shifts in perspective. 
Um, I think on a, on a really broad sense, people are realizing that like working from home, working online is much more doable and much more possible than before. Um, and I think for me personally, uh, what I've seen is, is something that I feel like, I feel like I say this every couple months or even every couple weeks is that like, ultimately I'm not in control. I can make all these plans. I can set my schedule. I can uh, try to determine each next step, each next month and week of my life. But ultimately, I'm not in control. And right now, I feel like the entire world had their plans thrown off. I don't think anyone necessarily planned uh, to be on a worldwide quarantine lockdown shutdown uh, for a couple of months. I don't think anyone had that scheduled into their 2020 plans. Uh, so it, it's really forced me to recognize that ultimately, uh, circumstances are beyond my control. And the only real thing that I can control is, of, of course, my, my responses to them. Nice. So that's, that's a hard thing to kind of grasp for a, a lot of people, even myself sometimes, like I want to be in control. Like how do you mentally get yourself to be like, like kind of let go and to say, you know what, I, I'm not in control. What's, what's been kind of your help with that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's tough. And again, it's not something I'm perfect at. It's not something I can do every single day or, or every sure. single time. Um, and that's also not to say that, this removes all my frustration. Like there's still times where I'm going to set a plan and I'm going to be frustrated that I'm not able to, to execute it the way I wanted to. Um, so it's something that I have to keep reminding myself of. And for me, it just goes back to, goes back to my faith. Uh, that's where, that's where I draw my sense of, okay, I don't need to be totally in control of this comes from. Uh, but it's something that absolutely like I, I need constant reminders that, it's okay if things aren't in my plan. And like you said earlier on my whiteboard, I had that little note written uh, that said, hasn't it all worked out for the best in the past? Um, and that's just a way of reminding myself that like when I look back at my life, I'm so glad that things haven't gone according to my plan. Even right now in my business and my personal life and my relationships, I'm so glad that they haven't gone the way I wanted them to go. They haven't gone exactly the way I had dreamed them because they're so much better. I think that for me in my life, I can say that God's plan for my life has been a million times better than my plan. And it's also been a million times different than my plan. The paths I've gone down, uh, the relationships I've made, the, the connections I've built, they're so much different than anything I ever would have thought of before, but I'm so grateful for them. Wow. I love that. <laughs> I love, you're like saying a lot of the stuff we're, we, we always talk about. So that's so beautiful. Let's see why. Uh... Yeah. So as far as connection, that's something that I am passionate about, just connection with self, connection with others. So what is, what is your take on the healthiest ways to connect with people around you? Like someone who's feeling lonely, um, do you connect with anyone or how do you set that boundary to connect with just a certain, certain amount of individuals? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is something that I struggle with for two reasons. Number one, I'm an extrovert. So I want to connect with everyone. Like, talking to people and, and connecting with people gives me energy. So I very much like, I want to have a conversation with the barista. I want to have a conversation with the cashier at Ralph's. Like I want to talk to everybody. Um, but I have to recognize also that not everyone necessarily wants to talk to me. Not everyone is an extrovert and is going to draw that energy like I am. And then also um, that extroversion can uh, become overextended sometimes where I am uh, reaching out to too many and, and, and showing that to too many people. And then also uh, the other reasons, not just that I'm an extrovert, but also 
Not sure if anyone's familiar with the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram type two, which basically I'll sum it up as I want to, my core thing is like, I want to help people and serve people. And so again, uh, that can become overextended if I'm not first serving and honoring my own needs and values. Um, and so again, this is something I'm not perfect at, something I'm still working on, uh, but I can overextend myself at times. And I think we can all overextend ourselves at time with worrying too much about other people's needs and wants and desires and not prioritizing our own first. Uh, it sounds opposite. It sounds flip, but actually when you take care of your own needs first, you take care of your own mental health first and your own uh, uh, requirements, dreams, wishes, whatever first, you're then able to take care of everyone else around you better and take care of the people you love better. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a process just like everything else. I feel like I keep saying that it's a process. Uh, but for me, that's, that's how I go about it. Yes. <laughs> so true. That's exactly how I feel. Um, do you know your, uh, cause I go around, I talk to everybody and I have like, and understanding that not everyone's going to want to talk to me. Maybe they're going through something in their own lives and not to take it personally. was a big one. And, and as you said, like you see it as reps, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, not to, for example, sometimes I'll do reps of connection, right? Well, I'll like reach out to 10 people, maybe eight people won't respond to me. I don't take it. I don't take it personally. I just say, all right, I need to get to 10. I don't care if anyone who answers, who doesn't. Yes. It led to like conversation with my friend in Vancouver. Yes. Another friend in another country in no Germany. And, but I went through that eight and it just, I love the, the way you said about it being about reps. Do you know, real quick, random, or do you know your Myers-Briggs? I don't know. I, I need to, I need to retake that. I think I took it my freshman year of college, uh, but I definitely need to, to retake that. Cool. So this makes me think <laughs> of uh, the, the reps saying more about uh, connecting with people, reaching out to 10 thing, 10 people uh, specifically. So I know we haven't told you, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, last Friday night, Jeremy and I, and I, I am a total introvert. So I'm not, I'm not an extrovert like you guys. I don't connect people on a net, with people on a natural basis. So uh, Jeremy said, all right, this Friday night, it was like, it's like nine or 10 o'clock. This is what we were doing on Friday night. <laughs> we said, we're going to reach out to 10 people that inspire us and see if they just want to be on the podcast. Like, we're not like trying to like, we're not like hoping that they get on the podcast. Like that's not the intention of it. it was, the intention was just like build connection. And that was actually how uh, we got connected with you. You're actually the first person that message. I was like, man, next morning I saw you reply and I was like, sweet, Brock wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. But yeah, that, yeah, that, that was funny. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love this dynamic. Like what I, I wanted to make a video of how to not put other people on the pedestal because it's all you're doing is you're putting yourself, you're literally from the pedestal, you're putting yourself down. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a, such a huge believer. Like I love the fact that I gave him this challenge and you're on this podcast and we're connecting on like a beautiful, authentic level. I just, I also love the, cause it just shows a display of how open people are and how I think in my opinion, how, um, we, we, people are more open than you think they are. And it's that dynamic of just how your brain lies to you to try to keep you safe. And I, just, I don't know, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So kind of switching gears again a little bit. So I, I know we all kind of go, like feel ourselves going to depressive states at times. And is there anything that you do, like when you feel that start to come on, like uh, I can you know, feel that 
depressive states start to like slip away uh, is there any like tools that you use or like kind of like go-to things to like make sure you don't go there or to help you get out of that Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's a few things. Uh, again, something that I've been working on, uh, first of all, is, is not trying to fight the uh, sadness or the depressive state or the uh, frustration, whatever I'm going through, is first just accepting it um, as it is. And then there's a few things. Uh, if I want to stay in that state, because sometimes I, I'm perfectly fine being in that lower, more unpleasant state, it could be watching a sad movie or listening to some sad music. Uh, which people might be surprised if they know me on social media to hear, uh, but but it's something that I do like to do from time to time. Uh, I think also reaching out to either like my best friend or my girlfriend, reaching out to them uh, is very important to me. And then the biggest question that I usually need to answer uh, or ask myself when I feel not like myself or I feel that I've overextended myself or that I'm going into this depressive state is what do I need right now? That's a question that I sometimes fail to ask myself or fail to think about uh, because I'm so over-focused on, on what other people's needs are that I can fail at times to, to ask myself what my own needs are. Um, so it's just going back and asking myself, what do I need right now? Um, and then clearly articulating that if it's something that I need from someone else or just uh, doing it myself if it's something I need to do myself. Yeah, that's, that's an important question. I like that a lot. What do I need right now? I, I also like the point that you brought up of really just accepting depression and, and not fighting it. And, you know, it, it's okay to stay in it in a little bit if you want to watch a, a sad movie or, you know, listen to some songs. I, yeah, I, I totally understand that. But I think a lot of times it feels like we have to like, oh no, we feel it coming, like can't accept it, fight it, must not be allowed. So yeah, I, I like that you shared that, thank you. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you have so many tools on dealing with the challenges of life. I, I, my question is with all these tools, how do you know which ones to use at different times? Or you kind of just as a default go to what do I need right now? That's kind of like my default. That's something that I've learned from couple books I've read recently. Uh, one of mine is this favorites is The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Uh, I love that book. That was one that I, I read kind of uh, my freshman year when I was first going to therapy. It was something that I read then that really impacted me a lot. Podcasts help. My therapist now back up at UC Davis, that was something she encouraged me to do is, is check in with what do I need right now. Um, and then learning about the Enneagram. That's another thing that's helped me kind of learn about my own personality and what my own, uh, like what both edges of my sword are, so to speak. Um, and so, yeah, I have a lot of these tools and a lot of these I've collected over time. I'll tell you, they're all written in my notes, uh, like on my phone, I keep them in my notes app. So if I ever like need help, I, I can refer to that. I also tell them all to my girlfriend because she's much better at remembering these things than I am uh, uh, and helping me when I, when I stumble with these things. I also, uh, like you noted earlier, that whiteboard, that also uh, is a place where I'll write down a lot of these questions and a lot of these uh, reaffirming statements. I love how you, I love how you talked about subtle art not giving an F. Yeah. <laughs> he was actually, he was part of my 10 people I reached out to on Instagram. Awesome, awesome. So tell him to respond to me. That'd be great. And I'm <laughs> yeah. All right, so I know we don't want to keep you too long, but uh, one question we do always like to ask everybody on the podcast is, 
So if there's one message you can get out to the entire world, what would it be? Yeah, it's uh, that you just have to start. You just have to start. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Uh, nothing you're ever going to create is going to be perfect. No art, no website, no podcast, YouTube channel, Instagram post, nothing is ever going to be perfect. Um, it's actually doing yourself a disservice uh, by trying to be perfect. Humans by nature are imperfect and broken. And so trying to be perfect is fighting against your own humanity, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, but you just have to start. You just have to allow yourself to be messy and be sloppy. Um, he who starts and fails will always be ahead of he who never starts at all. Um, and if you're trying to be perfect, you will never start at all. Um, and so I encourage you to just start sloppy, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're considering, even if it's just this mental health journey, pick up a book, pick up a podcast, uh, start reading, start listening, reach out to some experts or some counselors, um, start messy, but, but just start. Love it. Love it. So where can, uh, where can everybody find you at Brock? Yeah. The, the best place to connect with me is on Instagram, Brock 11 Johnson, the one, one there in the middle of my username, Brock 11 Johnson. That's the best place to connect with me and, uh, shoot me a DM. I'll usually reply. <laughs> well, thanks for, uh, coming on. This yeah. Is, thanks uh, so much. I love, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you guys for same. having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs>